Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan, for that introduction. My name is John DeSico, and I'm the pastor here at Snells Beach Baptist Church. I just want to uh, welcome all of you who are um, joining in, whether online or uh, in one of our small, uh, small group churches scattered throughout uh, the region. Well, today I, I want to look at who the Bible says God is. And because our world has been shaken quite a bit in the last few years. And one of the biggest concerns that I've seen, especially in the last few weeks, is, is, is this concern that we all have for justice. For all people to be treated fairly. The urge in, in each of us to, to, to do the right thing, or to at least have others do the right thing to us. And this is a, a big impulse of our culture. Everyone is talking about justice. But at the same time, our culture says that, that truth is only what is true for you. And if what's true for you might not be true for me, who's to say what the right thing is? Who is actually the one who defines justice? Well, as, as Christians, we believe in God, and we believe that God created all things, including right and wrong. We, we believe more than this, that what is right reflects who God is, because God is perfectly good. So for us to pursue justice in this world, we need to know who God is. We need to know what he's like. Because if what's, if what's true for you is untrue for me, then we're both left never knowing what the right thing is. Who's to say? But God has told us exactly who he is. And he's told us in, in his word, in the Bible. And I, I want to invite you today to consider this God with me. Consider him on his own terms. Not uh, the God that you've thought up as, as you've heard different things from Christians or, or others. But let's, let's consider who he is on his own terms. Let's, let's consider what he's said because we want to see and to know who he is. You see, God, is, God has not left us alone to guess who he is and, and what he is like. He's actually revealed himself to us. He has given us a picture of who he is and how he works. The Bible is the record of God's relationship with humanity. The Bible shows us that the history of this world is not like the seasons, you know, which, which come and go and summer always turns into autumn, which always turns into winter. But, but the Bible presents us with a story. The, the history of the world is a story, a story of God's relationship with his creation. And like every other story, this story has a beginning and an end. It has main characters and, and supporting actors. But at, at the center of this story is, is God, the, the creator and sustainer of all things. And it is through this story that, that we come to know actually who God is and what he is like. As his, he writes the story of his relationship with us, his creation. Well, there are... There are certain moments in this story, like in every story, that, that are just packed with, with kind of information or with action. And in this, this story of the Bible, there are moments that, that reveal God in, in, in a specially clear way. And, and today, I want to look at one of these moments that really is one of the most important moments for any one of us who wants to know who God is. Because it's one of the clearest pictures, it's one of the clearest moments where God God comes down from heaven, 
quite literally, and, and reveals himself to us. So I want to take a, a moment to look at this with you. So if you, if you have your Bible, would you, um, would you open it to Exodus chapter 34, if you have one? Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it's, it's right near the beginning, uh, pretty easy one to find. So as you, as you turn to Exodus chapter 34, I just want to set the stage and give a little bit of context. The whole story of this book of Exodus is, is one that a lot of people know, and Exodus is the book that, that tells how the, how the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob became uh, the ancient nation of Israel. This is the book of Exodus where we get um, the ten plagues on Egypt, or the, the Israelites walking through the Red Sea with walls of water. This Exodus is where we get the Ten Commandments, and these things have been made into movies in our culture. Um, pretty sure just recently Christian Bale played Moses, but in the Bible, in, in this true account, um, the, the story of Exodus is a story of God working. God works to free his people from slavery in Egypt. God fights for this nation when they could not fight for themselves, and God brings them out of Egypt and into the wilderness to make them into a nation. So if, the, if we think of the, the story of the Bible, right, this whole story like a landscape, some events in this story will, will pop up kind of like mountains. And these, these high points in the story reveal more specifically who God is. They're a little bit clearer, a little bit sharper. And this, this whole book of Exodus is made up of, of tons of high points in this story, like, like the southern Alps kind of popping up above the farmlands in the South Island. In, in Exodus, in this story, we, we see how God works, and God works often through people, even broken people. In this story of Exodus, God uses a man named Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. You know, and so we, we have many of these high points of the story, but here in Exodus chapter 34, we have a, a high point inside the high points. You know, if this, if this whole story of Exodus is, is like the Southern Alps, this chapter, these two verses is like Mount Cook. These two verses tower over the rest of the book of Exodus because in, in just these two verses, God himself comes down and tells Moses exactly who he is and what he is like. If you want to know who God is, read, study this, these two verses, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Here God tells us exactly what his character is like. And God never changes, so we can hold God to this character. This is what God says about himself. You can read with me in your Bible. He says, beginning in verse 6, I am, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, on the children and the children's Children, even to the third and the fourth generation. This is who God says he is. Well, I was talking to my neighbor last week, and, and he said that he couldn't stand going to church because all of the people in church were hypocrites. I think I, 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 think I understand his, his complaint. I, I know that I'm certainly a part of the problem. Right? What, what good is Christianity if all it does is make a whole bunch of people think that they're better than others. 
We see God has actually told us who he is in these short verses. And my question to you is not, have you ever considered Christianity? Because it would be easy to look at someone like me and just write it off. But have you ever stopped to consider who the God of the Bible actually says he is? Because Christianity isn't just a program. Christianity claims to have been given truth, to, 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 have, to have had this truth given to us from thousands and thousands of years ago. Have you ever stopped to consider who the God of the Bible actually says he is? Or have you simply believed what you've been told? Maybe you've taken a look at Christians and, and you've decided that the God they worship can't possibly be for you. I want to invite you today to consider who God says he is. Christianity as a religion is made up of, of humans, and we all fail to reflect God. We all fail to be merciful and gracious the way we just read he is, but God is consistent. Christians may be broken, but that is exactly why we worship this God, because we recognize what it would mean for God to actually leave us on our own. We recognize that without him, we have nothing. So let's look at what God says about himself. I want to challenge you to begin to ask yourself what it, what it would mean for God to actually be who he says he is. If this God is who he says he is, how should we as human beings respond to him? We will do it poorly and we will fail at it. But the important thing is to recognize who God is, what he has said, and to respond. Well, first of all, God said to Moses that he is merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. That sounds good, right? You know, a, a lot of people say that, that the God of the Old Testament is this angry and, and wrathful God, a God full of wrath and anger. But they say this without taking into account who God actually says he is and so much of what he does in the Old Testament. Remember we said that God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt? Well, one of the first things that, that this new nation did was to make a cow out of gold and to worship it for bringing them out of Egypt. You can read the story for yourselves. I'm not just making it up. They actually throw this gold into the fire. They, they make a cow and they say, look, Israel, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They actually worship this statue of a cow for doing what God had just done. Yet God stands by his people. Just three months after God delivers him, Israel rejects him like this. So is the God of the Old Testament a God of wrath only? Well, when we look at how God describes himself today, we need to remember that, that he is saying these things immediately after he's just been slapped in the face by the people he has just rescued from slavery. This is who God is in relationship with creation. This is who God is in relationship to those who have rejected him. So let's, let's look at who he says he is. This word mercy, remember merciful and gracious, this word mercy describes God as someone who looks on us with favor. A God who, who protects and preserves us. This ancient word for mercy is, is in the same kind of group of words, it's the same family as, as the word for a mother's womb. You know, a, a newborn baby doesn't give anything back to you, but that doesn't stop any of us from feeding and protecting this child who might even demand so much from us. God's mercy toward us is like this. He protects and takes care of us because he made us. 
even and maybe especially because we cannot earn it. My newborn baby doesn't pay rent. That doesn't stop us from feeding him. This other word, gracious, goes along with merciful. These two work together. And, and, and it describes God as a God who goes out of his way to show this favor to his creation. This uh, gracious is, is an active word. It describes God as, as giving food to the hungry, as, as a man lending money to the poor. And again, of God keeping his creation from trouble. God is gracious because he treats us with favor, even when we do not deserve it. God protects and preserves us. He is merciful. God treats us with kindness and favor. He is gracious. Thirdly, God says that he is slow to anger. You know, sometimes we think of God as this far-off being who's just ready to squash us as soon as we mess up. The truth is that, that God is is merciful and gracious, and this shows itself in patience. He is patient with us. Even when his creation looks at his work, looks at what he's done, and they make a cow out of gold and worship it instead of him, God is patient with them, and God is patient with us. So God is merciful and he is gracious. He is slow to anger or patient. Next, God says that he is full of love and faithfulness. He is full of it. He's just bursting at the seams. God is full of love and faithfulness. And he doesn't run out. He is ready to love and he will always be faithful. Love and faithfulness are, are two words that go together in the Bible to describe God who remains consistent. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that, that describes God's faithfulness is in the New Testament. And it's in this letter written to a young pastor. And in this letter called 2 Timothy, the writer says this. He says, if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. We are unfaithful by nature. God is faithful by nature. He is overflowing with love and faithfulness for us. So this is who God is. This is what he shows us in Exodus that we've just read. God is merciful and gracious. God is slow to anger. He is not short-fused. God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And these words come straight from the mouth of God himself. In one of the clearest descriptions of God in, in the whole Bible, this is what we have. You know, we, we talk about this being one of, one of the high points of the Bible, where we see God clearly for who he is. But you know, there's, there's an even higher point in the storyline of the Bible. And this higher point in the story comes when God himself becomes human in Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, we have the perfect picture of who God is. The Bible calls Jesus the, the image of the invisible God, because he is God. The Bible calls him the exact representation of God's nature. Jesus is the highest point of the Bible's storyline. And if if what we had in Exodus was like Mount Cook, what we see in Jesus about God is like Mount Everest. In the storyline of the Bible, there is no clearer picture of who God is than in Jesus, because Jesus is God himself. And in Jesus, we see every single characteristic that we just mentioned. Jesus is, is merciful. Jesus ate with the outcasts of society. He, he welcomed people no one would welcome. 
He didn't neglect those who were in need, but he, he protected and preserved just like God said in the Old Testament. Jesus is merciful. Jesus was also gracious. He went out of his way to help the needy, and he was not afraid to put himself on the line to show grace to broken people. Jesus is, is slow to anger. You, know, you can read, for the, for the whole time Jesus was a teacher in Israel, Jesus was being challenged and questioned again and again, and, and not by people who were trying to understand him, but people who were trying to get him to slip up with his words so that they could say, ha, gotcha, you're wrong. But Jesus was patient with them, and he's patient with us. Jesus is slow to anger, just as God said he was in the Old Testament. Jesus is also consistent. Jesus is full of love and faithfulness. His followers could trust him to be consistent in his character. They could trust him to be full of love. Throughout his life, Jesus is described as compassionate. He is full of love and compassion for all people. In Jesus, the character of God was put on display once and for all. Jesus shows us the life we should have lived. We see in all of Jesus' life what it looks like to live as, as real human beings on this earth who, who reflect the God who made us. This God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding or full of steadfast love and faithfulness. What we saw in Exodus is magnified in Jesus. It isn't that, that the God of the Old Testament is wrath, but the God of the New Testament that we see in Jesus is love. That's not it at all. The love of God in the Old Testament reaches a crescendo. It is magnified. In Jesus Christ. In Jesus, this love becomes brighter and brighter. It shouts louder and louder. He alone perfectly reflects God. Jesus is the ultimate picture of God, the highest point in the storyline of the Bible. In Jesus, we see who God is. But, you might say, you didn't finish the list. You stopped short of, of everything we read back in Exodus. Why, why didn't you finish describing who God says he is? Because God is about to say that he, he punishes sin. He doesn't let go of the guilty. Were you afraid to show that God doesn't let the guilty go free? Friend, I'm not, I'm not at all afraid. I'm simply saving the best for last. You see, because this is, this is, the, this is the greatest part of who God is. Let's, let's finish looking at, at what God has said. And let's, let's say this, let's be careful to say this on his terms. God says he is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and, and full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But he goes on, he says, uh, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So we see God forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He's, he's willing to forgive, but he will by no means clear guilty. The guilty. He will by no means let sin or injustice go unpunished. Well, there are two main reasons you might reject this final statement. First, you might say that the statement is just flat out wrong. I'm not guilty. You might say, I'm a, I'm a good person, or at least better than some, maybe better than most. And who are you anyway to say what is right and what is wrong? That's the first reason that the second reason you might reject this is because it doesn't really make any sense. 
How can we say in the same sentence that God forgives sin but will not let the guilty go free? Doesn't this just prove that Christianity is, is inconsistent on a basic level? Let me see if I can answer both of these questions at once. You say you weren't guilty, but I'm, I'm not too sure. We might not be murderers, but each of us has at least been ungracious. I guarantee that, that we have all broken even our own standards for how we should treat other people. The real problem with us is that, that we don't see any of these um, actions, any of these slip-ups as an offense to God. Why should God be offended if I cut someone else cut someone off while driving? The biggest problem is that by trying to live according to our own standards of right and wrong, we are no better than Israel who made a cow out of gold to worship. Except that instead of worshiping a golden cow, we worship ourselves. We put ourselves in the place of God. Let me try to illustrate this. If I, if I send an email to someone from my wife's account, pretending to be her, I probably wouldn't get into too much trouble, unless there was some other kind of crime involved. But if I were to somehow, with my incredible technological skills, hack into the Queen's email account, the Queen of England, and try to impersonate her, how do you think the governments of the world would respond? If I, if I somehow stole her credit card details, I would be guilty of crimes, not just, not just like those against a normal person, but guilty of crimes against the throne. See, because she is the queen, what is essentially the same thing is a much bigger deal. When we define right and wrong for ourselves, we take the place of God. And this is the most basic and, and, and fundamental break of relationship that there is between God as the creator and us as his created people. So even if you are good by your own standards, even if you can meet your own standard without breaking it ever, you've actually taken God's place. The Bible teaches that all have sinned. Not that Christians are better, but that all have sinned and we all fall short of or lack the glory of God that we were created to reflect. God created us to be in relationship with him, but we broke this relationship. We deserve punishment. We set ourselves up as God in the place of God. Justice demands that God punish us for our sin. And this is what it means when God says that he will, he will by no means clear the guilty. He, he has to remain true to the truths of justice, this, this thing that we all want to see. While we are still impersonating him, while, while I still have access to the queen's email, right? God is, is right to pursue legal action against us. It would be wrong for the queen just to let me use her email whenever and however I want it. And this is what, this is why we call, um, excuse me, this is what we call justice. God dealing with sin is not mean, it's right. It isn't petty, it's necessary. If I was put in jail for using the Queen of England's email account or credit cards, I don't think anyone would protest too much. So for God to be a God of justice, 
something we would all say that he has to be a God of justice. He has to be a God of justice if he is to be a good God. For God to be this God of justice, he has to do something with sin. But I still haven't answered the second question. How can God say that he forgives sin but will not clear the guilty? Don't these two things just not fit together? Well, what what we see in the Bible is that God always provides a way for people to come back into relationship with him. This is part of his grace and his mercy and his love. But someone has to pay the debt. Someone has to take the punishment. The love of God drives him to move towards us in grace and mercy. Even when the justice of God demands that he do something with our sin. So how can this love and justice exist together? And this is the beautiful thing, that that where these two things come together once and for all is the cross. The cross is is the very peak, the summit of Mount Everest. It is the highest point in the story of God with humanity. Because at the cross, we see the pure wrath and punishment of God poured out on Jesus, who died. At the cross, we see the pure love and mercy of God poured out on us. Because Jesus Christ died for us. God's justice, Jesus died. God's love, Jesus died for us. In the same way that that the love and the mercy of God is, is magnified or made louder in Jesus in the New Testament, the justice of God is seen most clearly in him as well. So what's the point? point is this. God has told us who he is. He has shown us once and for all in Jesus Christ. Especially when Jesus went to the cross in our place, taking the punishment of God that that we deserved. The point is that you must come to a decision. If you have not thought of this before, if you have not heard or accepted who God is or what Jesus has done for you, You have to make a decision. On the one hand, you could dismiss everything I've I've said today. You could dismiss all that's that's in the Bible. You can dismiss the the testimony of creation. You can dismiss your own conscience that points to right and wrong that, that God wrote himself on your heart. You can dismiss all this and simply walk away. You can you can continue in the way that you're already going. Or Or today you can consider what it means that God himself has paid the price for your sin. You can recognize that before a perfect God, you stand no chance of measuring up. You cannot be merciful enough or gracious enough to earn your way into heaven. That's not the goal, and that's not how we get there. The point is that even though you made yourself an enemy of this God, by putting yourself in his place, He has come down to make you his friend. God offers salvation from punishment, but only through Jesus Christ. To receive the salvation he offers, you must believe. Believe not just that Jesus existed, not just that he was a teacher, but believe that only through the work of Jesus Christ on this cross, you can be saved. And true belief comes with a a change of heart. The Bible actually describes it as a heart transplant. God has to give you a new heart. You have to be born again. That's how radical of a transformation 
this is. It's not just deciding to be better. It's letting go of everything you've ever done and trusting in the one thing Christ has done, most specifically to save you. True belief, I've said, comes with a change of heart. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance is is taking down the old structure of your life and rebuilding it according to God's plan. Repentance is, is recognizing that you do not get to judge what is right or wrong. No more of this, what's true for you is true for you. But your creator has described and defined truth. He is truth himself. Justice and righteousness is consistent with his character. And so repentance is recognizing that our creator has defined justice and righteousness and truth. So if if you are hearing this today for the first time, please consider what the Bible says. Read through the story of of the life of Jesus, maybe in in the book of John in the New Testament. See, because the, the tug on your heart that you feel when you see injustice is meant to point you to the one who shows us right from wrong, the one, the one who defines justice. The, the desire in your heart to see people live with mercy and grace is there because you reflect your creator, even if only as a broken mirror. Let me encourage you to turn to him today. See all that he is to offer because in him is everlasting life. In him is, is fullness of joy and, and only through him is is the relationship between you and your creator mended. The God of all things has shown us who he is. That's that's where we started. He is a God merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, full of love and faithfulness. He forgives us our iniquity and our transgression and our sin. He is such a forgiver that, that he he said it three times, three different sins. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but he will not. He cannot let let the guilty go free. We long for justice, but we long for justice on our terms. We we fail to recognize that we need to receive mercy. If you want to receive this grace and mercy, I'm begging you today to, to receive it from its only source. Receive it from the cross. If you want to restore your relationship with God, please find someone who you know is a Christian and ask them, to show you who Jesus is. Ask them to help you count the cost of following him. If you don't know anyone, or if you have questions about what what I have said today or what the Bible says, please feel free to contact me. I would love to answer any questions you have. But most importantly, today you must decide. Will you believe who God says he is, or will you turn the other way? As you close, would you... Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger. You are full of steadfast love and faithfulness. God, you have have set yourself in a relationship with us. You didn't just wind up the world and then leave it to run, but you call us into a relationship with you. Lord, I ask that that you would teach us what it means that you are a God who who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but who who will not and cannot just let sin go unpunished. 
Lord, help us to see the consistency in our desire for justice and in, and in uh, the reality of, of sin against a perfect and holy God. God, would you give us grace? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work in the hearts and the minds of those who, who hear this word, that, that your word would, um, would not return to you empty, would not go out in vain, but it would, it would do all that you have purposed it to do. It would, it would hit the target, Lord. We pray that you would show us how to live. God, I ask for mercy on your church as we, as we seek to navigate these times. Lord, as, as, as we seek to wrestle with the differences of opinion that we have, would you help us to be merciful and gracious? Help us to be slow to anger. Help us to be full of love and faithfulness to one another. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.